in a series uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're talking about uh, this big idea that, that basically most of us in our life want something more in life. And, and that can be with relationships. We want something more out of our relationships. That can be in work, that we want something more out of our work. That can be in uh, just the search for happiness and the search for meaning. That, that all of us, at different points in our life, I think we feel this more acutely, but that we, that we long for and want something more out of life. And oftentimes, in that feeling and that searching for something more that that leads people to religion or to spirituality in in some ways and and a lot of times even though that that's where it leads people there's a lot of people that criticize that as being the end game for finding something more so the the search that we have for something more often leads to spiritual things and religious stuff but there's a lot of people that would say you don't need religion to find the something more in your life if you feel like your life is lacking meaning, you don't need religion for that. You don't need spirituality for that. You can have that without. Or you don't need a religion or spirituality to have a moral life. Or you don't need religion or spirituality to have happiness or joy or community in your life. That, that we long for something more. A lot of times that leads people to spirituality, but a lot of people would say you don't need that for that. Now, if you're not a Christian, maybe that's uh, what you believe. But for Christians, here's what often happens with us. For, for people that are Christians, we wouldn't necessarily say, hey, the search for, for meaning and for purpose and for happiness, the search for that, religion's not needed for that. We wouldn't say that, but we often feel that. So if you're a Christian and you long for something more in your life in various ways, you wouldn't be one of the critics that says, you're not going to find that in religion, you're not going to find that in spirituality. You wouldn't say that, but we often feel that. We often look at our life and we go, man, you know what, I, I do long for something more, but even the spiritual things in life that I, I want to, to find the purpose and the meaning of my life in, they don't do what they're supposed to do. I read the Bible and eh, or I, I go to church and eh, I go to community group and eh, and it, you know, I'm supposed to find the, the purpose and the meaning and the satisfaction and the joy, but, but why is it that in my life it still feels empty or it still feels like I'm not changing or it still feels like I'm always making these commitments of I'm going to change, I'm going to do better and I'm going to try harder and, and then I don't follow through and why is it that the very place that if you're a Christian, you actually believe you'll find meaning and purpose and satisfaction and joy in, but it doesn't happen. See, here's a question that we have to ask as Christians. What, what happens if you're bought in, right? Like you long for something more and you go, okay, religion, spirituality, God, that's where I'm going to find it. What, what happens if you're bought in, but the very place that it's supposed to be found turns out empty, what happens if you're bought in? You're not a critic. You're not, you're not someone that's... What happens if you're bought in and yet it still feels dry or boring or your life unchanging and your commitments... What happens if, if you're bought in but it still turns out empty? And this is really what this passage that we look at will help us understand. What, what do we do when our spiritual life feels Empty, And how can we have something more, something better, even when it comes to our spiritual life, our religious life? And so we'll read this passage and then we will explore this question. So here's what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Talking about the temple there. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. This is the word that he repeats throughout the book that we've been looking at. This emptiness, meaninglessness, just fadingness. It's a mist. 
But God is the one you must fear, not to be afraid of, but to be in awe of. So this question, what creates and the spiritual emptiness that we experience. And this is a passage that is written to people that are church people, Christian people, religious people. It's not from the critic's standpoint that says you won't find meaning in religion or you don't need it for that. But, but for Christians that say, I've bought in and yet still, what do I do when the very thing I've bought into feels empty? What creates that spiritual emptiness? And we get a picture of it here and he, and he starts and he, he kind of just is telling a story and he's painting a picture for us to say imagine a guy that, that's going to church and he gets up in the morning and he puts on his church clothes and he, he's heading out to church. He says I'm going to go to church today and I'm going to, I'm going to offer a sacrifice. People would offer sacrifices for their, their sins to be forgiven of, to be cleansed of, to make an offering to God and thanksgiving and, and this person says I'm going to church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a sacrifice and I'm going to pray and I'm going to sing and I'm going to make a vow and commit to God. And he, he says, I want you to imagine this person that's on their way to church and they show up and, and let me tell you what describes them. Let me tell you the word that, that describes them. They're a fool. Now, if you're not a Christian, maybe you go, yes, amen. That's what I've been saying. Finally, something I can amen to. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're a fool. No, don't really do that. We, we, don't, we don't do that uh, here. Um, you can think it, though. But uh, <laughs> he says, picture this guy, and, he, and he's a fool. And, and that's almost curious to think about, right? Here's a guy who's coming to church, making sacrifices, praying, doing the things that we would say, yes, that's what you should do. And he says, this person's a fool. Why, why is he a fool? And the reason he's a fool isn't because of what he's doing, but how he's doing it. And see, what would happen a lot of times, and maybe you can relate with this, what would happen a lot of times, and the Bible talks about this a lot, is people would show up, and they would do what we call go through the motions, right? You know that phrase that, I'm just going through the motions. They would show up, and he calls it a sacrifice of fools, that it's this posture of somebody entering and somebody coming, but, but they're really there just going through the motions, and so the author says, this person's really a fool. There's, nothing, there's no benefit in that to just show up and go through ritual, to show up and just go through motions, to show up and just do the things out of a formalism or a, a religiosity that's just this external thing that, that he says, this person is a fool. See, Jesus would say the same thing later, talking about the Pharisees who were religious leaders. And Jesus uh, quoted from the book of Isaiah, which was talking about this, and, and he says this, this, this is Jesus. He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips. They're going through the motions. They're saying the right things. They're saying the prayers. They're singing the songs. They're saying stuff to God. They're, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's just a formalism. It's a ritual. It's I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this motions, but there's no heart my heart, their heart is far from me. In vain, same word that Ecclesiastes uses, in emptiness, in meaninglessness. It, it, it means nothing do they worship me. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. See, what creates this spiritual emptiness? Here's what, here's what Jesus said. Here's what the prophets say all throughout the Bible. Here's what Ecclesiastes says. that It's this, it's this motions. It's this formality. It's this ritualism that creates a spiritual emptiness, a vanity. So think about us. Think about your life. How often do you sit down and maybe you say, okay, I'm going to do a religious activity. I'm going to do a spiritual activity. I'm going to read the Bible. And you read it. And you go, okay, I'm supposed to read the Bible. And so you read a chapter maybe, or you read a, maybe a couple paragraphs, and you go, okay, I did it. Or maybe for those of you that are in LTGs, which are smaller groups within our community groups, life transformation groups, and you show up and you say, okay, I'm supposed to do an LTG. Here I am. And so you kind of talk about your life a little bit and go, okay, I did it. But still feels empty. You go to community groups. Say, I'm supposed to go to community group. That's what Christians are supposed to do. And, you know, they gave an announcement and said, there's supposed to be a community group. So I show up to community group and, okay, I did it. Or church. What happened today? You got up this morning. Some of you got up this morning. Maybe some of you are still waking up this morning. You got up this morning, came here, 
got a cup of coffee, maybe dropped off your kids if you got kids, sit down, and you go home, you go, okay, I, I did it. I did the religious thing. I did the religious activity. I did the spiritual thing. And yet, you can still feel empty. Because it's just kind of going through the motions. And then he mentions two other things that often happen in religious services. He, he says that we say a lot of words. There's a lot of words that are spoken in a religious service, in a religious gathering. A lot of words and prayers. You know, we open the service and there's a prayer that's said and that we pray. And then you will say words as you sing a song. And you may say words as you take communion, as you pray to God. And then you say words as... Uh, as, as you talk to even one another and you say words maybe to God about something that you um, are, are thinking about during the service. That there's, he says there's a lot of words that are spoken and often without any thinking behind them. Just rationally spoken, he says. I mean, think about this, and I don't want to be... Um, I don't want to be too judgmental when I say this. I want to be a little judgmental, but not too judgmental. Okay, So think about, uh, think about this. When you pray, for those of you that pray, how many of your prayers open with, Dear Jesus? Now, why? When you talk to somebody, do you say, Hey, dear Adam, dear Caleb, do you say that when you talk to somebody? When I talk to my wife, I don't usually say, Dear Sarah, I would like to talk to you about what we're going to do today. But why, when we pray, do we say, Dear Jesus? Now maybe some of you pray and you really are affectionately thinking about God and say, dear Jesus. But isn't it often that we're just saying stuff without even thinking? How often are the songs up on the screen and you maybe aren't even singing, just kind of standing there looking at the songs. But even if you sing them, how often are you really going, yes, I'm, Christ is the solid rock on which I stand. Don't we say a lot of words? that are just empty, just rashly spoken, just what he would say is just foolish. It's just, it's just talk. You're, you know you're supposed to sing. You know you're supposed to pray. So you say, okay, dear Jesus, moose Jesus, elk Jesus, you know, whatever Jesus. Just, I'm just saying stuff that doesn't really even mean anything. And then he talks about a second thing that often happens, or a third thing that often happens during religious services is that we make vows, that we, we make promises to God. And oftentimes what happens is in the middle of a service, there's some sort of moment maybe that you experience conviction. Some sort of moment that you go, ah, there's a change in my life that needs to happen. I need to start doing this or I need to stop doing this. And, and some sort of moment of conviction takes place. Man, I need, to, I need to serve or I need to give or I need to confess to this person my sin that I did against them or I need to forgive this person or I need to make a, a better effort at doing this. Some sort of moment of conviction that takes place and we make some sort of vow to God but it's just empty because you just know, yeah, I'm supposed to kind of say something. I'm supposed to make a promise to God. God, I'll, I'll never do this again. God, I'll change. God, I'll, I'll sign up and help with this. God, I'll, and we, we feel some sort of thing, but really it's just, okay, I know I'm supposed to say something here. And he says what would happen back then is people would make these vows. And he's kind of specifically talking about money and people would make some sort of vow to pay something, make some vow to contribute to the priest and the temple and make some sort of vow and then the priest would come to collect. The messenger would come to collect. And it's not like a guy with a bat. It's, it's just they're coming to, to collect the vow that was made. And the person says, it was a mistake. I didn't really mean that. I, you know, I wasn't really, you know, it was just kind of, I accidentally checked the box. I wasn't really meaning that. Oh, I put a zero on there? No, I didn't. I didn't let's erase a couple of those. You know, that's, that's not what I meant. He says, this is what happened. People make these vows during a religious service. And people say words during a religious service. And people show up and they go through the motions during a religious service. And really what he's doing is he's describing this cycle. Week after week, year after year, show up, come to church, say the prayers, sing the songs, hear the sermon, feel some sort of commitment that should be made, repeat, repeat, but nothing really changes. 
Nothing really changes with ourselves. Nothing really changes with us and God. And nothing really changes with the people around us. We're still impatient. We're still harsh. We're still uh, selfish. We're still greedy. We're still, I mean, with all the different things, it's not really changing. Even though we're engaging in religious activity, even though we're engaging in spiritual activity. So a question that we need to think about when we talk about what creates this spiritual emptiness? What creates a spiritual emptiness even for those that go to church and pray and sing and read the Bible and go to communion? What creates the spiritual emptiness, the void, the vanity? What, what creates that? And he says it's this just kind of going through emotions, the foolishness of just going through things. But, but why would we do that? That's a question I think we should ask ourselves. Why would we do that? Why would they do that? Why, why show up and give a sacrifice if someone's heart is really not there? Why speak stuff with our lips, like Jesus says, but the heart's not really there? Why say a prayer if we're not really even paying attention to what we're praying? Why sing songs? Why, why are you here? If sometimes it's, I mean, I'm not even really thinking about it. I'm not even, I'm just kind of doing it. Why? Why would we do that? Why did they do that? And the reason, one of the key reasons that the Bible talks about often and that, and that, that describes or that's underneath, and if, you, and if you're honest and think about, why would I do that? Why, why read the Bible if you know, my heart's not really there? Why pray if my heart, why? Why? is it's this mindset of, I'm doing the right thing, so eventually I can control God. I'm doing the right thing, so God will be in my favor in some way. See, God, I gave a sacrifice, even if your heart's not there. See, God, I, I sang the song. See, God, I prayed the prayer. See, I read the Bible. See, I mean, for these people, see, I made, I made the vow. I said the words. I did the sacrifice. I, my, my lips did honor you, but why do that if the heart's far? Because we believe that just the activity can put God in our favor. Because we did the right thing, now He has to bless us. Because we did the right thing, now, now He owes us. Because we did our part, now He has to do His part. And we view it very transactionally. I, I was um, at a donut shop a few weeks ago, which I love donuts. Um, and this place supposedly had gluten-free donuts. Uh, they were not very good at all, but we went to this place... And, um, and there was a dad, and he was sitting down with his daughter, and he was having like a daddy-daughter date uh, with donuts, which is, if I'm a daughter, the best daddy-daughter date possible is going to involve donuts in some way, shape, or form. And he's sitting there and having coffee, and they're having donuts, and, but, but here's what it looked like. And this is not actually the people. I didn't want to take a picture and say, you're going to be a sermon illustration. Um, this is just a stock photo, but it's, uh, this is what it looked like, though. Except he didn't have paper, he had his phone. So he's sitting down with his daughter, this cute little girl, eating her donut, and he's got a donut and some coffee, and he's on his phone the whole time. I mean, I, wasn't, I didn't stare at them for an hour, but the whole time that we were there, which was a while because I had to go in the back and get the gluten-free donuts. Um, why would a dad do that? Now, I don't, I don't know, okay? Like, I don't know what was going on. Maybe, you know, I don't know. But, Here's what I know, and maybe not that specific case, but here's what I know from just us, whether it's a marriage or a dad. On it. Why would a dad do it? Because sometimes, somewhere, someone told him, you should do daddy-daughter dates. Somebody told him, hey, you know what you should do? You need to do daddy-daughter dates. Or for husbands and wives, you need to have a date night or, or for you know, whatever. You need, to, you need to do this thing. This is the right thing to do. So he does the right thing, but his heart's not in it. Nobody ever, no, look, no one ever has sat down parents and said, okay, look, here's what you guys need to do. You need to have some time with your daughter where she's eating a donut and you're on your phone. Nobody has ever said that, right? People say, hey, you should spend time. You should get to know them. You should, you should talk to them. You should bond with them. That's what really the heart behind it is. But this dad said, okay, somebody one time told me I'm supposed to do a daddy-daughter date. I'm supposed to sit down with my daughter. I'm supposed to have a donut with her or take her to get a donut because, you know, kids like donuts. So he does it, and he's on his phone. Now, why? Why would we do that? 
It's the same kind of thing that we do with God. It's, I'm doing the right thing. My heart's not really there. Why? So in some way, we can feel good about ourselves. So in some way, we can say, so maybe someday this dad can say to his daughter, what are you talking about? I've always took you on daddy-daughter dates when you were younger. I always took you to get donuts, and now you're disrespecting me, and now you're not doing the one thing I'm asking you to do, and now you're not doing... Some of you are probably shaking because you're like, oh my gosh, you sound like my dad right now, okay? <laughs> Knowing laughter, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, so I mean, I, I get it. So why do that, though? Because somewhere there's this feeling of, if I just do the right thing, I can feel good about me, maybe even impress others, take a picture, put on Instagram, daddy goals or whatever, right? <laughs> you know it's true, right? Or to control. To be able to say, because I did the right thing, because I did the right action, now I'm good. Even if my heart's not there. Look, we do this all the time, but we do it when it comes to God, especially that we can offer God time, we can offer God service, we can offer God money, we can offer God activity, we can offer God our actions of, look, I'm here, I said a prayer, I sang some songs, I was at church, and our hearts aren't there, so why even do it? Why go through the ritual? Why go through the motion? Why go? Because it becomes about us. I'm here so that I feel good, maybe to impress others so they feel good with me, and so that God is in my debt. So when the time comes, I can say something to God. When stuff starts to go wrong in my life, I can look back and say, but God, I went to church for 20 years. I sang songs. I prayed. I read the Bible. But what he says is it leaves us feeling empty, that it's vanity. What Jesus says is the worship is vanity. It's empty because it's about us. So we miss what the purpose actually is. And so there's no growth. There's no change. There's this empty feeling. And we start to grow numb even to the spiritual things, the very place that we say, okay, I've bought in. This is where purpose is. This is where joy is. It's okay, I've bought in. I'm not a critic. But the very things that that we're supposed to look to for something more in life, begin to just numb us. They begin to just leave us feeling cold and feeling distant. And it affects other people in our life too. And think about what he says. He says, this guy is a fool, and the people that talk are fools. And the people, I mean, it's, the church is a place filled with fools. That's what he says. Can be. A lot of times, and maybe this is some of you, for those of you that are maybe checking out church or unsure what you believe, and, and maybe one of the problems has been, man, church is filled with hypocrites, and it's filled with people maybe in the past that have hurt me, and it's filled with people, and he said, yeah, there's a lot of fools in church. There's a lot of people like this in church, because it doesn't end up just affecting us. It starts to flow out of us and affect other people. This isn't what we want, right? Nobody says, man, I really want to read the Bible just and feel really dry when I do it. That would be great. You know what? I can't wait to go to church and just stand and stare at the screen for the song. That's going to be awesome, right? Nobody, nobody wants that, right? None of us want that in our life, in our spiritual uh, life, in our walk with God, in our religious experiences. Nobody wants that, right? Nobody sets out to have that be the case. So, so then what do we need to do? We want our spiritual life to be life-giving, right? Don't you I mean don't you want to be able to show up to church and be like, man, that was that filled me. It wasn't empty, that filled me. That was awesome. Don't you want to read your Bible and go, man, that was that was awesome. It gave me life to be able to pray and go, man, I just talked with God. That's what we want, right? So what do we need in order for our spiritual life to thrive and not be empty? If, if, if we are looking for something more in life, and for those of you that are Christians, you've bought in. You've said, okay, it's spiritual stuff. That's where I'm going to find it. And yet, it feels empty. What, what do we need for our spiritual life to thrive? Because here's what happens. Sometimes people begin to think, well, the problem is the stuff. Maybe the problem is going to church. I'll just stop going to church. 
Maybe the problem is listening to sermons. I should just stop listening to sermons. Maybe the problem is singing songs or, or I need a different kind of song that, that moves me emotionally in a different kind of way. Or, or maybe the problem is the stuff. So, you know, I'm going to stop taking communion or uh, forget baptism or, or forget uh, community. I don't need community or forget reading the Bible. I, maybe, maybe the problem is the stuff. Sometimes that's what begins to happen. And people say, well, I'm not going to read my Bible. That's just legalistic. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to, I don't need to do those things. Maybe the problem is the stuff. But that's not what he said. That's not what, that's not what God says. Because the stuff was created by God. Worshiping God and singing songs to God and hearing from God and the Bible and praying and, and community, that was all made and designed by God. So the author doesn't say, hey, here's the problem. It's the stuff. So just get rid of the stuff and just go in the mountains and say, you know, this is my church. Hallelujah. Right? That's not what he says. The problem is not the stuff. The problem is how we do the stuff. He doesn't say to stop doing the stuff. Stop going to the temple. Stop making sacrifices. Stop saying vows. Stop saying prayers. Stop. He doesn't say stop doing the stuff. But it's how we do them. It's how we do them that begins to change our spiritual life to be thriving. So it's not just empty, but it is something more. And here's what he said. Draw near to listen. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than the sacrifice of fools. This is the key. Now, this might sound simple of, hey, all you got to do is listen. But, and you might be you know, prone to just dismiss this because it is so simple. But here's what he says. Look, you don't want your experience to be empty. You don't want your spiritual life to be empty. You, you want it to thrive. Here's, here is the key. Come to listen. Draw near to listen. See, when we want others to listen to us, what do we do? If you want someone to listen to you, you you say something like, hey, maybe something serious. You have to talk to somebody about something serious. What do you, you say, hey, come here, sit down. I have to talk to you about something. Or maybe there's bad news you have to give someone, and you say, hey, you're going to want to sit down for this. Or maybe if you're mad at somebody and you really want them to listen, you say, hey, listen to me, right? And you kind of focus in like that. Or, or if you want someone to hear something really beautiful you have to say to them, you maybe bring them close and say, hey, listen to me. So we want someone to listen to us. What do, we, what do we do? We say, hey, come draw near. I've got something to say. I, I want you to listen. And what are, what, what are we asking to happen? See, this is just a stock photo for listening. This is one too, but we'll, we'll not use this one. We'll use this one. But I just thought, hey, that's kind of funny. So we'll, we'll use this one. But, but this is, oh, Okay. This is the one we're using. Um, what does this show? This is a posture it's showing. Even just the hand, you know, over the ear, it's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting, my, my posture is changing because I want to draw near. I want this to come inside of me. I want it to affect me. I want to, this, this is showing a posture of I want to receive. Right? The reason that someone would do that is because they're saying, I want to I take in this message. See, real listening, and this is just helpful for whatever, even outside of spiritual stuff, just your relationship issues. Real listening is always about the other person. Bad listening, you know this if you've read anything about listening. Bad listening, if you're talking to someone, it's always like, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say before you even say it. And you, know, and you get in an argument and you're just ready with your response. Real listening, good listening. Is always, it's about the other person. I want, I, want to, I want to receive from you. I want to take in what you have. That's why the top Google image for listening is this. It's, it's showing this posture of, I want to take something in. I want to receive from you. My posture, everything is changed so that I receive something from you. It's a very humble, listening is a very humbling thing. It's to say, I want to be affected by you. I want to be changed by you. I want to receive from you. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. That's, that's what listening is. That's why I love the Chinese uh, symbol for listening. Uh, and I didn't know that. I don't know Chinese. I just found this. But the Chinese symbol for listening represents all of this stuff. 
ears to hear, a mind to think, eyes to see, a line here that means undivided attention to focus, a heart to feel. See, that's listening. It's saying, I'm going to hear you, I'm going to see you, I'm going to think about what you're saying, my attention is on you, my focus is on you, and I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel what's going on here. That's listening. It's saying, I'm here to receive. I'm here to focus on you. I'm here not about me. I'm here now to receive from you. It's a posture of humility that says, I'm, I want to receive. I'm not just here and I'm not just going through motions and I'm not just saying words and I'm not just, I'm not just making vows. And what, I'm, I'm here to receive. And what he says is, as you go to God, as you enter into God's presence, draw near to listen. Draw near to have your mind and your heart and your, and your thoughts affected. Draw near to receive, not to come and say, okay, I've got some words I'm going to say and I've got some vows I'm going to make and I'm just going to do the action because if I do the right action, no, 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 no. It says draw near to listen. Draw near to listen. You know what this means? It means that there's something about God that you and I need. There's something about God that you, right now, need today. There's something about God that we don't know, that we're we're lacking in, that we've forgotten some aspect of His character or His work or what He does or how He is. or how. There's some stuff about God and who He is that, that we need that we're missing, that we've forgotten, that we're unclear on, that, that in our life we've, we've gone away from, and, and, and to draw near to listen, to say, there's stuff about God you need today. There's stuff about God that you need to be affected by today. And here's the amazing thing. He wants to tell you. I mean, if it says draw near to listen, you know what that means? It means God is talking. To say draw near to listen means God is saying, hey, I've, I've got some stuff I want to say to you. I've got some stuff I want you to hear. I've got some stuff I want you to be affected by. I mean, to say draw near to listen is actually beautiful because it's saying God wants to talk with us. God wants to speak with us. To say draw near to listen means that every single time we encounter God, every time that we read our Bible and we go to community group and we show up to church, every single time, God wants to speak. God wants to talk with you. He actually wants to talk. To say draw near to listen is to say God wants to talk with you. And there's stuff about him you need to know. And there's stuff about him he wants you to see and feel and experience and hear and all of that. To say draw near to listen means God wants, God doesn't want you to miss out. The author says that he is high, he's up above and we're below. Think about that, that the God up above who's way smarter than us and way stronger than us and way more experienced than us. and way, I mean, up above, it gives this sense of glory and power and difference from us. and I mean, someone that can see it all and that he's up above and we're below and yet he wants to speak with us. He wants to communicate with us. And so he says, draw near to listen, which is why he says, guard yourself when you go in. It says, guard your steps as you go in to draw near to listen. Guard your steps. Is that, look, how how did you come in here today? Was it in your mind, guard my steps as I come in here? He says that when you go to church, guard your steps. Not because there's like booby traps, you know, it's not Macaulay Culkin's out there. But I guess we could set up like an obstacle course out here, you know, guard your steps. Why does he say guard your steps? Because he knows we're in danger of making it about us. He knows we're in danger of just going through the motions. He knows we're in danger of just going through the ritual. And so he says, guard your steps. How did you come in here today? Here's what I can almost 100% guarantee you. If your posture, when you engage God's presence, whether that's at church or community group or reading your Bible or praying, if it's not that you are actively thinking, I need to be careful. Then you're doing exactly what he's talking about. If your posture is not guarding your steps, 
then probably a big piece of the spiritual emptiness that you may feel is because of exactly what he's talking about. See, if we don't guard our steps, he knows our hearts. Don't you know your heart? I know mine. And I, I say words all the time for a living. I'm at church every Sunday. I, I know my own heart that, man, if I don't guard my steps, my bent is to just go through the motion. Don't you know that about yourself? I mean, he says, look, guard your steps. Is your posture when you come to church? Look, how did you come in here today? Just today. Don't have to think about your whole life. When you came in here today, did you say, man, I got to be careful when I go in here today that I don't go through the motions. I got to be careful when I'm singing a song today. I got to be careful when I go to community group. I'm not just showing up because I'm supposed to go to community. I got to be careful when I'm reading my Bible. I'm not just kind of, okay, I read my Bible. He says, guard your steps. We're all in danger of making it about us. You know, something I learned this week, you know, the temple steps that led up in Jerusalem, that led up to the temple, the temple steps were, and I don't know if you can tell from this picture, but they were actually uneven, intentionally, not bad construction. This step is this big, and this step is this big, and this step is this big. They were intentionally uneven. That way, when somebody was walking up to the temple, they had to be carefully thinking about what... They, it's an active thing, not a passive thing. That it was a very... Hey, as you're coming up here, start to focus, start to think. We've got this step in our house that right as you walk in that almost everybody trips on. Because it's just this... I don't even know why it's there. Maybe the guy that made it wanted people to trip. And it's right there and you just... If you, I mean, everybody trips on it. And then sometimes people come in, I'm like, you know what, this, they look like a coordinated person. I'm not going to say anything. And then they trip. And then I feel bad. But the temple steps were made like this, intentionally, so that people had to carefully think about it as they were going. What does that mean for us? To guard our steps when you come in here, when you read your Bible. It means it's not a passive thing. It's a very active. Our hearts should be not just, I'm sitting down and okay, whatever, I'm here. That's all that matters, right? I'm doing the action. No, it's, it's guard your steps. Be focused, be thinking, be involved. This might mean that you are praying beforehand. God, okay, help me right now. I know my heart. I know its tendency. God, help me. It might be that, that you are going to bed early on Saturday so you can make sure you're focused. It might be that you are showing up early here so you're focused. I don't know, but what does it look like? Is your posture, when you engage with God's people and and spiritual stuff, is your posture, I'm guarding my steps because I know the bent of my heart. I know the bent of my heart. What happens when we we do this? What happens if, what happens, what happens if we begin to draw near to listen and guard our steps? You know what happens? You know what begins to happen? We change. We change because it's no longer this empty experience, but something that's actually filling us. See, if you want the effect of something, anything, if you want the effect of something, if you want the effect of what an experience is supposed to do or what a person is supposed to if you want the effect, there has to be focus. If you want the effect of something, there has to be focus. If you want to experience something, there has to be focus. When you're distracted, you miss out on what the experience is intended to create. And this is true with a person. It's true with a church service. It's true with whatever. I mean, if you go on a beautiful hike and you're on your phone the whole time, you know, you missed out. If you want the intended effect of an experience, there has to be focus. So a while ago, I went to a spa. Um, I don't know if you guys have been to a spa, but just to kind of show you what the waiting room looks like, this is a spa, Right? And you walk in, and there's candles, and there's a fireplace, and you're waiting kind of for whatever your service is going to be. You're wearing a robe, right? I mean, that's the best part. It's just a robe. A robe makes everything better. I mean, if you're going to have a, if you think Monday is going to be hard, just show up in a robe. Just robe. I seriously, I think, man, you put on a robe, and it's almost like, oh, the world is at peace, right? Nobody wears robes anymore. I don't own a robe, but it's, uh, I love robes. So anyways... Nobody buy me a robe, by the way. Like, don't go, oh, Caleb doesn't own a robe. I don't want one. It's special at the spa. You go to the spa. What's the intended experience supposed to be? Relaxing, comforting, rejuvenating, right? You're just supposed to all your cares go away, and you're just there, right? They create this whole environment to give you this experience, and they're trying to focus you. 
They're trying to focus you by getting rid of distractions and no TV and no, and there's just like, you know, tribal music playing and, you know, rainfall sounds. And they're just trying to focus you and relax you. So go to the spa, right? And, and sitting in my chair, kind of like this. And this is also a stock photo. I didn't take a picture of this girl. And there's a, a curtain. <laughs> like, there's a, uh, you're going to be a positive example, though. Not like the stupid dad, you know. And there's a, a curtain down the middle between, like, where people's chairs are. And I come in. I've got my tea. I've got my robe, right? I'm looking at the fire. I've got a book. And this guy comes in from, you know, he comes in from the hot tub or whatever, sits down. He sits down in the chair. <sighs> and I was like, dude, I feel you. I'm there. You know, I didn't say that, but I'm just, okay, I feel you. Then a couple seconds go by. <sighs> and I'm not, I'm not even kidding. My wife was there. She would back me up. He, nonstop. And I don't know if he had a, like a problem, but it was just, <sighs> And I was so, my wife's laughing, this is dead, I'm not, this is dead serious. I put my book down, I'm looking at my wife, I'm just like, I cannot believe, like, this, is he joking, you know, because he's just, <laughs> and I was, so the whole experience is ruined, right? Because I got no focus, I got no intention, I got no attention on what's supposed to be happening. My comfort's out the window, my, it's, that's <laughs> like this guy. I was waiting for him to die. So, and then um, it's like I hope there's something wrong with him. Um, and then uh, I'm I'm being honest. Okay, it's church. Confession is coming up later. So, um, and then this is no joke. All of a sudden, eh, 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 this is a test for the fire. This is a test for the fire. And that guy had the nerve to be like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, oh, I actually would prefer to listen to that. And they do a fire test for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, 5, 10 minutes. And it's like, okay, this is out the window, you know, the intended experience of the robe and the candles and the tea, completely gone, right? This is my point. The point is this. If you want, if you want to get the intended experience, if you want to get the intended effect of anything in your life, if you're watching a TV show and you tell your friends to be quiet because who's he going to pick with the rose or whatever, right? <laughs> if you're, you, want, you tell people to shut up, you want to focus. If you want the intended experience of something, you have to have focus. You have to have your attention. You have to be on guard and get rid of the things that distract you like guys that sound like horses and fire alarms. You have to focus. You have to guard. And this is what he says. Guard your steps. Draw near to listen. Because when that happens, you begin to change. You sing songs and you actually are moved by them. And you actually think about how Christ is the solid rock that you stand on. What would that mean if he was really the rock that you stood on? I mean, your focus is there and you pray a prayer and you take communion. You really remember his blood and you really remember his body and you focus. And the intended effect begins to happen that when you sing and you pray and if I mean, look, look here, here's what this means. How, what do we need for our spiritual life to thrive? We have to draw near to listen, to guard our steps, which means praying and, and asking God, even telling God, look, I know I'm, I, I'm distracted right now. Help me. Help me not to just say words, but really sing songs. Help me to, I mean, maybe that means taking notes during a sermon, or maybe it means listening for God. What, instead of just making vows, what, what really should I obey from what you've said out of your word? I mean, how often... Do you walk away and go, I've got something I'm supposed to obey today? That all happens as we go, okay, I am focusing. I'm guarding my steps. I'm drawing near to listen. And we don't have a temple anymore, but we engage God's presence through His people and community group and LTGs. And as we pray and as we gather collectively, God's presence is here in a special way and we draw near to listen, and our life begins to change, and we crave more of Him and His work in our life. And here's the last thing. Why is God so serious 
about us drawing near in this way? Why say, hey, you are a fool if you're not doing this? Why, why make such a big deal out of this? Not, not just in this passage, but all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is one of the big things that the prophets, that Jesus, they hit on all the time. Why isn't God just cool with saying, well, at least they showed up? Like, at least they're here. Like, why, why does Jesus say, okay, you're a hypocrite. Your lips are saying all the right things, but your heart's far from me. Why is God so serious about this? And there's a story in the New Testament Back to the temple again with people that were not guarding their steps, that were not drawing near to listen. In the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, they, they tell this story about during the Passover season, which is when uh, the, the Jews remembered how God saved them out of Egypt. How God uh, had just wrath that could have come against them, but instead passed over them and saved them and brought them and rescued them to be His people and dwell with Him. And so they have this big, big season, big festival, sacrifices, all sorts of stuff, and tens of thousands of people would come to the temple in Jerusalem. Ten, I mean, huge, crazy party and just, and just I mean, filled with all the people coming to this big, big, big feast and festival. And in the middle of the temple, what began to happen is that people would sell the goats or the, or the pigeons or the things that people needed to make sacrifices. And they would have, they set up a currency exchange. So the people, you know, you, if you're a Jew coming from all the way in this part of the land, you have to kind of switch your money out. And, and, and all of that is good. People needed that. But it was supposed to happen outside of the temple. But instead, it began to happen inside the temple, in the place where prayer was supposed to happen, in the place where song was supposed to happen, in the place where sacrifices were supposed to happen. It's happening right there. It'd be like if in this room, there was people doing currency exchange and selling things. Right there. And this happens and Jesus gets completely pissed off. I mean, he gets angry. This is the angriest we ever see Jesus. And you've heard this story if you've grown up in church. And he starts throwing over tables and whipping stuff and people. I mean, it's angry, right? Like there's, hey, customer service messed up on something angry. And there's, I've got a whip and I'm throwing over tables. Like you've probably never had such bad service at a restaurant. You threw over the table and pulled out your whip, right? <laughs> like, I hope not. <laughs> That's, I mean, we're talking angry furious, right? Why so angry? Why does Jesus get so angry about what's going on? And here's just kind of the closing line of that in John. He says, he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And in some of the other books that tell this story, it says that, that Jesus says, my father's house is a house of prayer. I see, why is Jesus so angry about this? And why is God so serious about us drawing near in this way? Why, why do he get so angry in the temple? Because in the temple, and, and, and back in Ecclesiastes, same thing. Why, why so angry about this? In the temple. The temple was this place that showed God's grace. It was a place that said, your sin doesn't have to define you anymore. You can be forgiven. Your shame doesn't have to define you anymore. You can be cleansed. You want to know God? You can know Him. He will talk to you. You want to be free of the, the chains and the things that are, you're struggling with? The temple was the place that you got to experience that. You got to see God's presence. You got to see your sins actually representatively forgiven as an animal was killed. You got to, you got to sense and feel this is who God is. The temple was a beautiful place. Jesus didn't want people to miss that. And the author of Ecclesiastes didn't want people to miss that and be distracted and just go through the motions and just sing. We sing beautiful stuff when we sing. We hear beautiful things when the Word of God is open. And God says, I don't want you to miss that. I don't care if you just say the stuff and do the stuff and honor me with your lips. If your heart is far from me, think about that. When Jesus says, your heart is far from me, who cares, Jesus? I'm doing the right stuff. 
What does that mean? It means Jesus wants our hearts. Wants our hearts. He doesn't want people to just go to the temple and make the sacrifice and say the right words and give the right money. He wants them to experience His grace, His forgiveness, His salvation, the fact that He's their Father and they're His people, the fact that He's the light that leads them out of darkness, the fact that He's living water that that quenches the thirst of their souls, all of these things that the temple did. He says, I don't want you to miss that. Why, why is God so serious about this? Look, if you have a good teacher in high school or something like that, and they were like, man, study. If they're a good teacher, it wasn't just because they were like, hey, you, I need you to study. It's because they really wanted you to know the stuff because they cared about you. Jesus got so angry, and the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, everybody's a fool that just does the right thing. Who cares if you go to church? Why? Because he doesn't just want us to know truth and have it in our head. He doesn't just want us to do that. He wants us to feel and experience who he is and what he's done. That if you're suffering, he wants you to know that he's a comforter and he's present, not just say the words on the screen. If you're lonely, he wants you to know that he is is with you. Not just say the words on the screen or just hear it. He wants you to know it, to feel it, to sense it, to experience it. And so often our spiritual life is empty because we are doing spiritual things, but we're not saying, i got to guard my steps, i got to draw near to listen. He really wants us to know the truths about him. That if you're sinning, that you can have grace. And if you are lonely that you can have a friend and if if you feel as an outsider that he's brought you in and if and if you feel like life is shifting and changing that he's a rock he wants you to know those things and experience them to feel them so he, he wants us to draw near so that we can see and experience and feel all the ways that he has drawn near to us That's what the temple was all about. The temple was all about saying, God has drawn near to you. So you draw near to him so you can experience all that. And and this side of Jesus, we have even better than the temple because Jesus has drawn near to us through his Holy Spirit and through his people. And we have even greater access to him. He's drawn near to us. He's taken away every barrier. That's what the cross is, that on the cross... Jesus exchanged himself for us. He had our sins forgiven and gave us his righteousness and rose from the dead to give us his life so that every barrier would be gone so we could draw near to him because he's first drawn near to us. So why is God so serious about us drawing near in this way? It's not because there's some sort of rules he wants you to follow because he wants you to experience. He doesn't want you to miss out on all the beauties of who he is and what he's done for us. What if every week of our lives was fueled by this? What if every week of our lives was fueled by, I have heard from God. I've seen Him. I've listened to Him. I've been affected by Him. And then we prayed prayers and we meant them and we sang songs and we meant them and we heard the Bible and we we were letting it affect us and we took communion. What if our spiritual life wasn't empty? This is what we want, right? This is what I want. This is what you want. None of us want an emptiness. This is what often is missing in our spiritual lives. This is how we can have more in our spiritual lives. Guarding our steps. Drawing near to listen so that we can see how he's drawn near to us. And we take communion. That's what we remember. He drew near to us in the ultimate way.